Ministry Mentorship, Episode 44. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia, and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you that are helping us spread the word about ministry mentorship by sharing our posts on our Facebook page and also for retweeting us on Twitter. If you'd like to get involved with the podcasts, you can leave a comment in the show notes or on our Facebook page. We've already heard from many of you that have shared how much these podcasts have been a blessing to you, and uh, we thank you for taking the time to do that. If you're a writer and you'd like to share your thoughts about ministry, would you consider submitting a 500 to 700 word article for our website? You can send your article to jacob at ministrymentorship.com. And I know that many of our listeners have some great insight to share with everyone, and I look forward to hearing from you. In this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor Keith Showstrand. Brother Showstrand is a powerful minister of the Word and has a heart to teach and train young ministers. His love for people and helping others became evident during our conversation. In this interview, we're going to be talking about lots of ministry-related stuff, and I encourage you to pass this along to someone that you feel could benefit from these topics. We'll also have any recommended resources in the show notes of this podcast, which you can access by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast. And it's my prayer that this podcast will be an encouragement to you. Let's join the conversation now. We're thankful to have Pastor Keith Showstrand with us today. He is the pastor of Christian Apostolic Church in Newark, Ohio, and uh, he's a tremendous minister, speaker. He's been pastoring there now for 10 years. Brother Showstrand, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brother Toppy. I will say that uh, we have had Brother Jacob come to our church, and he was quite a blessing, and we... uh, have enjoyed having him as a friend over the years and uh, getting to hear not only his ministry but in in word but his ministry of humor it's, uh, <laughs> it's often not able to uh, to walk those lines between the two but he does very well and uh, thank you brother Jacob for your vision in this endeavor I uh, know my you interviewed my wife a few weeks ago and uh, since that interview, there have been numerous individuals that have called and uh, or emailed her to tell her how much uh, they enjoyed the interview and what it did and meant to them. So, Brother Tapia, you are doing a great work here by your vision to interview guests and hopefully to be a help to. Uh, in young people in the ministry or just to all of us. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's, that's encouraging. That really is, and I'm thankful for that. Now, you, you've been in ministry for, for how long, Brother Showstrand? I think um, probably in the 70s, um, I 
received my local license, I'm going to say maybe 75 or 76. Uh, general license a year or so after that. And then my wife and I, I was married when we were ordained. Uh, and I'm going to say maybe 79 or so, uh, 80, somewhere in there, uh, we were ordained. So I've been ministering for, I guess, close to 40 years. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Now, tell us a little bit of your story and and uh, a little bit about yourself. Well, I was raised in a minister's home, um, and I mentioned those years. I was born in 1957 and went um, my father mother were, my, my father's parents were neither one in the ministry, and my mother's parents were neither one in the ministry, but my father had grown up in Apostolic Bible Institute, uh, he was actually a Sunday school uh, bus route child that was one to the Lord, and he was in uh, uh, the same age uh, as uh, Brother Neustrand, Brother Saban, uh, several other individuals, young men that were just in the church there. And Brother Norris, of course, um, wanted all of those young men to go to Bible school, so my father did, went four years, and then he uh, helped... Um, in a church as an assistant pastor, and then he uh, took a home missions work at another small church in uh, Illinois. Uh, and I was, my mother was originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She went to Bible school where she met my father. And so uh, she, being from Baton Rouge, then she was expecting me went home. So I was actually born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but came back and lived in uh, Illinois uh, most of my childhood until about nine years of age when he took uh, the church in Lone Oak, Arkansas, because of uh, a connection with uh, George Glass, uh, Jr., who was the best man in his wedding. My mother was out of or Glasses Church at that point. So um, I grew up all of my life with attending church, being involved in and around church. And I uh, watched as our church in Lono went into a building program, and there were some people that rose up against my father and actually um, made it very personal, attacked me uh, to the extent that we were in a small community of about 3,000, 3,500 people. So most of the individuals knew each other. And uh, this one gentleman would call uh, school friends of mine and try to find out if I had been 
drinking or partying or if I had gone to a rock concert. Oh, my. Or my friends thought that was hilarious. You know, that, <laughs> oh, I guess. Hey, so-and-so called from your church. <laughs> and know what you were doing this weekend. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I, I took somewhat exception to that. And, uh, you know, although I had felt God dealing with me about wanting to help people and minister to people, I I just sort of made up my mind that, you know, I knew the character of my father and mother, knew that they loved people, wanted to help people, did, were giving their lives to minister to people, and how people could turn on them was just mind-boggling. So I told my father I I didn't really want anything to do with the ministry, and so I was accepted into a private university to begin pre-med studies, and uh, actually went my first year and uh, took a, on a pre-med track, did well, uh, actually was a double major, mathematics and pre-med, did well there. Uh, but I was shocked. I found uh, many of those students, fellow students of mine, were no better than this. some of the people that were uh, calling themselves Christian in our church. Hmm. And I guess that was some of my first exposure to this real competitive We'll do anything to stab you in the back because, of course, we were in a private school where, you know, we were, everybody was trying to make the best grade so that you could uh, have the best uh, GPA to be accepted in the med school. So it was amazing the, uh, the infighting and the backstabbing. And it was as if the Lord spoke to me while I was away at school, and uh, I had read the book by, I think, Edwards about David and, and the three, Tale of Three Kings, I think was the name of it, and uh, a couple of other books, and I, I realized, you know, my unforgiveness lack of being willing to forgive some of those individuals uh, had the potential of keeping me out of heaven. And that shocked me because I thought it was all their fault. Hmm. And uh, I really, I think, uh, there at the university had a real epiphany, if you will, and, and realized, you know what, I... I do love people, love God, want to serve God. I, I, as I said, although I was living on campus, at, our campus was a private school, so there was uh, readily access to a lot of you know, marijuana, other things, parties all the time. Uh, I never got involved in that. I, I just... I, I found myself, though, realizing, you know what, I, I need to get my life back on track to where God's been dealing with me. 
So I talked to my father, and I said, I'm ready to quit school and go to Bible school. And uh, because I had done so well in high school, I had a scholarship to for undergraduate. And um, I, uh, my father said, you know, uh, the Lord's given you a good mind, and I think you should finish your undergraduate degree before you decide to go to Bible school. I was kind of surprised by that, hmm. uh, but at that time, he uh, talked about uh, others, Dr. Klepper and others that had gone to Bible school after having gone to college. So I uh, agreed, transferred, and uh, I had during that time I had been teaching uh, a youth class, helping with some of that. So he began using me more uh, as far as just help with service and speak. And I transferred to a university that was within driving distance of our house so that I could be involved in the services. And I guess that was all in the providence of God in as much as uh, I later that year met a young lady that uh, ended up uh, asking to marry me the next year. <laughs> and uh, we uh, finished our undergraduate degrees together. Her father had... Uh, asked that she finish. Uh, when, when I asked for her hand in marriage, she, she had already started at the university. So his request was, well, I, I wish that you would both finish, at least that you would let her finish. So I agreed to that. So we stayed and, and uh, finished school, kind of evangelized during the summer months. And then um, after... Uh, we both graduated, we hit the evangelistic field. And um, because of my father's connection with ABI graduates, um, actually came to Ohio, preached a lot in Ohio, preached in Missouri, preached in Louisiana and Texas, other, other states as well, but uh, actually ministered in about 29 or 30 churches in Ohio, um, met a lot of people had no idea that I would end up, um, you know, one day pastoring here. At that point, was not at all uh, thinking any of that. Thought that I would follow the track of that was sort of <laughs> the way you went. You know, you evangelize so long, sure. and you find a church, and then you, you know, start pastoring thought that would be what would happen, but um, actually um, evangelized for three years or so, and during those times you preached 14 times a week, or 14 <laughs> times wow. before you had a break, rather. It was like, you started on Monday, you went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you did twice on Sunday at least, sometimes three times on Sunday, oh, they had morning worship. And then you started back in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because you couldn't stop 
or the Holy Ghost would stop moving, <laughs> I guess, something like that. <laughs> and um, so we were very involved in doing that and, and uh, holding evangelistic service. Then you pray in the altar and all of those wonderful things. And I uh, noticed that I couldn't speak for a while. And uh, so kept getting sore, more sore. So I finally went to the doctor and he said, I had nodules on my vocal cords. So immediately said, six weeks, you have to stop. No speaking, no preaching. Mm. And then and, uh, at that point, that's, uh, you know, we're going to have to do new kind of therapy to teach you how to uh, not uh, develop any more nodules on your vocal cords. So I felt like, you know, I was maybe sure that the Lord was not in that. How could the Lord allow me to have nodules when I'm trying to do His work? Hmm. Uh, yeah. But... <clears throat> We stopped, and uh, I got a job at, at a school, and my wife got a job at teaching, and um, during my job was a, a coordinator uh, working with in the field of special education, and this was in about 80, um, two, three, four, somewhere in there. And the superintendent came to me and said, uh, we need a school psychologist. And I think you know, it would be great if you went back to school and you got your master's. At that time, you, you got a master's and then a specialist degree. So if I could add specialists. Mm -hmm. You had 90. Uh, master's were 45 hours. And we had to have 90 hours in graduate work because they did not have a, a Ph.D. program in special ed in school psychology at that time. So went back and and did that and asked uh, the um, psychologist bar and, and became licensed and began working in the field of school psychology, uh, during which time uh, after we were involved in graduate school, uh, we... Uh, there was a home missions work in the Little Rock area that we went and took and uh, had, oh, uh, 10, 15 people. And the Lord was good. And we grew. Uh, we were running probably 60 or 70. And after a couple of years or a year and a half, I don't know we were there. And um, ironically, the older gentleman who had given the church out and saw the, how wonderful it was doing and he came back and said I think I want this church back <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said absolutely it's yours <laughs> and uh, um, so anyway I just then worked and uh, helped uh, there in the, my father's church, and then later they elected us as an assistant pastor, and then uh, I did pastoring there, and then um, 
you know, um, basically worked jobs until uh, secularly, until we moved here. <laughs> our ministry, I guess probably our family, was some of the largest contributors as far as tithing members. And, and the church was, was a small community, as I said, about 3,000, 3,500. And yet the church uh, grew. We, we were running um, consistently 150-plus, sometimes 200, and um, between our church and one of the large Baptist churches was probably the two largest churches in the community. And so given the fact that both my wife and I were involved in the educational process, it put us in contact with a variety of people from um, um, representatives, state people, to, you know, individuals involved in the, in the educational process. And so it, it actually became a, a great way to uh, evangelize it around the state. Uh, even to the extent that uh, the governor would come, our state representatives would come and visit our church. Of course, uh, we didn't plan on it being this way, but uh, Pentecost Sunday being in the 1st of June, um, we started having an afternoon service on Pentecost Sunday, and you know, we would advertise it as worship with the Pentecostals on Pentecost Sunday. Um, it so happens that one of our primaries, our Democratic primary, was like the end of June. So consequently, we started getting politicians uh, attending uh, service and all those sorts of things. And the Lord honored all of that. We ended up uh, before we left 10 years ago, we had had three mayors of the city that had all been baptized in Jesus' name. So wow. we got and um, served on numerous uh, positions within the community, from police commission, the zoning commission, that praying numerous functions, and and would. Uh, was not uncommon for um, a representative or um, a congressman or someone to call or write and ask for us to pray. Hmm. In fact, right now, the, the present uh, senator from the state of Arkansas, Mark Pryor, I know he's Democrat and would be in a, in a uh, highly contested election, but when he was a state representative, his father was the governor, and uh, he uh, was his father had called and asked our church to pray for Mark. He had found he had cancer in uh, uh, his heel, and uh, we were we went and prayed, and and uh, so you know I felt that. A lot of what we did were ministering to individuals that 
you know, maybe um, we're a long way from where we had all come from. Just in my own lifetime, you know, my father's parents were divorced and my mother's parents were just individuals in a church. And now to think that you are ministering uh, not only to the average person, but to people that were um, in political arenas and so forth, um, was almost mind-boggling. Um, but um, it, it, when Brother Nushan asked us to come back and preach here in Newark 11 years ago, we he did not mention anything about him leaving the church. We did not know that was going to be in the cards, but we came and ministered, and after service, he said, I think you need to be the next pastor. Oh, wow. I said, I, I don't think so. <laughs> at the University of Arkansas, uh, Central Arkansas, I was scheduled to teach there that semester, and I was helping a couple of other students with their dissertations, because we had been grandfathered in. Since then, they had received a Ph.D. program, and I was helping a couple of other students, and I just said, I don't know that I can get out of any of that. But uh, we prayed. I guess it was the right thing, because the Lord opened the right door. We walked through it and came here 10 years ago. So since then, we've our two daughters, uh, one of them has gotten married, a young man that was in this church, and the other is a licensed uh, school psychologist herself uh, working in one of the school districts. Wow. Wow. That's that's incredible. And, you know, I, I think we need to hear more stories of that. And as far as the connecting with people that are in leadership and people that are in authority, and one thing that I think we do need to consider is that the apostles spoke before kings and and great men, and it's definitely something that we're probably not real comfortable with, most of us, uh, but it's something that we do need to consider that it could be that there's somebody that God uh, will use them to speak to kings, and, and thank you for sharing that with us today. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. I, I know... I, I know we personally felt that we had no ulterior motive. We did not right. ask for anything right. from them. Um, but um, our job was to be a blessing to them, right. that we had something to give to them in prayer and in worship. And of course, I know... Um, it has opened a lot of doors politically, not only for my wife, but for her musical talent, singing and and us being involved, but even uh, uh, in in a variety of other churches from um, the fact that we were accepted, if you will, uh, by some of those arenas will then um, maybe a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church didn't feel bad about having uh, my wife come and speak sure. or myself do something because I guess they felt like, well, you know, we can always blame it on, on the politicians if it <laughs> turned out bad. 
or whatever. And uh, and it did become uh, a great avenue, uh, I found, for us to be a witness. And we did uh, meet and, and know numerous people and uh, talk to them. And, and what's ironic about that is, is years ago, when, when we were evangelizing, I was in a a church, and I can't, I, I think it was maybe in New York, we were preaching, and, and and the pastor there introduced me to an elderly lady, and uh, he said, I want you to meet this lady, and said, she's been a licensed chef all of her life, and uh, but uh, ask her about the time that she was um, the summer chef out in Hyannisport, and uh, so I asked her, I said, were you ever the chef? And she told me the story of how uh, she was happened to be the summer chef uh, on the summer that John F. Kennedy was getting ready to mm. uh, run for office uh, for the presidency and, and talked about all the people that came in. And one morning he came down and said, you know, there's something different about you. Wow. And she said, I got to tell him about being baptized mm. in Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost that would change your life. So here I was as an evangelist, and you know those kinds of stories. Mm. It was like, wow, Lord, you do have people in Caesar's household, like yes. you said, and you have people everywhere. And who knows what job may afford you a connection with someone that uh, you know needs to feel what we have. Hmm. Wow, so true. And, and you know, I, th- I think there is a mentality uh, that, I don't know if it's necessarily Christian, but sometimes we think, well, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. You know, I don't need the approval of the world. I don't need anybody to, you know, to, to approve of me. You know, bless God, I am who I am, and if they don't want to receive the truth. You know, but it sounds to me like, like that was not really your attitude that you came at it at a, as an approach of maybe more of a servant that you know we're going to step in and use our gifts and our talents to minister uh, wherever we are. You, you're not compromising your doctrine, but you're right. rather uh, trying to connect with people on their level. Right. I, I absolutely. I, I think that's exactly right. In in as much as that, you know, this is the pearl of great price that we have found, and it is a treasure in an earthen vessel. And while we, therefore, I need to be excellent in my work ethic, I need to be excellent on my job, because Mm. all of that is an indicator of the fact that I have been given so much. And, um, I have so much. And so for us, we we approached our work. We wanted to do it the best we could. And yet every place was an opportunity to minister. Right. And I know uh, we tried to instill that within our children. And we, we were blessed with two girls. And as I said, one has gone into, uh, she has her ed specialist degree and above a master's and she's working as a school psychologist. The other one has gone and gotten a, her juris doctorate and is 
as an attorney and uh, uh, works in the court system, and yet uh, is in contact with, you know, people from all different walks of life, and yet, uh, as I've told them both over the years, that uh, every one of those places can be an opportunity to minister, to uh, say a word, uh, show some kindness, to do something to encourage individuals uh, to live for God and to be a part and, and to even be in the church. And both, because of their professional involvement, have uh, been a blessing to not only church people uh, and their children, uh, but have been able to uh, also be a financial blessing to the ministry, but also just in helping some of our own people because of what they've achieved in excellence. And so they're ministry. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, as well as, you know, helping teach a class, as well as speaking periodically, as well as doing all of those things. Um, you know, ministry basically means a servant. And um, that very sense of anything that I have been given, I want to use to serve the body of Christ and to serve the kingdom. Hmm. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I love this. This is great. You know, and one thing that that this makes me this whole conversation makes me think of is that we're seeing a, a trend in our in our organization. I, I'm we're seeing a trend maybe in in young people that that think well, uh, there's definitely a voice out there that says, uh, you know, you don't have to be so demonstrative. You don't have to be so. Uh, outlandish with your your worship and praise and you know if you're really going to reach people you need to be more sophisticated uh and and i think what you're kind of talking about here is blowing that out of the water that you're still retaining your your apostolic identity and your praise and worship and if anybody's seen your wife worship i mean she's a worshiper she's no holds barred uh i was at your church and there's great worship there was there was demonstration of the spirit that doesn't turn people off. Well, absolutely not. I, I think I think there have been instances, there's always exceptions to the rule, there have been instances when maybe people would in the past grab someone and try to force them to do something or try to put on a show for someone else. But if you are genuine in your praise to God, and you're genuine in your worship to God and adoration and love, and it's to God. It's not, I, I don't I don't put on a show for someone that's there as a visitor, um, and yet we've had all known of people that, you know, uh, didn't shout until there was a visitor, or uh, didn't worship until somebody was sitting next to them, you know. But that's not genuine worship, as you're just describing. When you are genuine in your consistent praise to God, worship of God, you're not doing it for them, for a show. You're not doing it because I'm trying to score points or I'm trying to shock them. Or I, You know what? That's the thing that we have. 
yes. that no one else has. Right. And, right. You know, that's if we don't do that, you know, all the, all that we can offer the world is the power of the Holy Ghost. Right. And so I would rather have had a service where there was a genuine demonstration of the power and presence of God so that a senator remembers this and sends a letter and says, pray for my son, or so that someone, you know, um, says, wow, that's the people I want praying for me, or Hmm. that's the ones that I want to touch God for me, because they felt something real and genuine. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a big thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's not necessarily what am I putting on a show for them. If it is, it wasn't real worship anyway. Right. Absolutely. And and one thing that, that I noticed when I was at your church, and, and you mentioned me coming, and, and I want to just say this, that, that uh, I felt something very unique and, and special at, at your congregation, and that was the uh, the compassion, and there was an openness, there was a transparency, there was, a, a, I guess the word would be genuine. I, I, I truly felt like there was a place for anybody, and uh, that people that had issues, people that were struggling with problems, people that needed God could find a place uh, in that congregation. And talk a little bit about that and, and how you foster that kind of openness before God. Well, thank you. I, I hope that is felt here, and, and that's a central tenet of what I believe, because it comes back to the story of Jesus with the well, with the woman of Samaria, when he said there's coming an hour when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And that's not capital truth, like capital T-R-U-T-H, like it's the truth, but it's if you read it in the message, um, and I'm not exactly sure uh, I don't remember the wording, but it, it basically means honesty and openness mm. and being real. And it, it's, you know, a little t. It's in spirit and in honesty and um, realness. And so and we we do encourage that. And um, I, I don't believe, um, you know... It, I, I, I know sometimes we all wear masks. I know at times we've all probably, um, you know, put on a brave face when we've been going through something. But um, there is a difference between putting on uh, a brave face and being honest and uh, still being able to worship. When you look at the way the, the disciples handled the first attack after the day of Pentecost, the first tribulation, if you will, that when Peter and John went to the temple and they had just come out, out of Pentecost and they there was the healing of the man at the gate, um, the Bible um, tells what they did, and you, you can read it 
in the fourth chapter, it's a powerful sermon and, and thought in as much as that they came back to their group, uh, the rest of the church, and they told what had happened. So they were honest with it. Mm. And then they prayed. And when they prayed, they didn't pray, God, attack the Sanhedrin or mm. do any of that. Yeah. What they prayed for was, shake us. Yeah. So fill yeah. us with the Holy Ghost so that we can speak with boldness. And so I think, you know, that kind of realness is what should be fostered in our services, where, you know, if you're a drug addict or if you're an alcoholic or if you've got a problem with whatever, put it, fill in the blank. Come, let's get real, let's get honest, let's then ask the Lord, the Holy Ghost, to shake you, cleanse you, wash mm -hmm. you, touch you, give you strength. And uh, we'll do what we can as the body to help strengthen one another. Um, and that's what I think the body is for. It's uh, The Bible is very specific. It's not what the head supplies, but it's the strength that every joint supplies. And so um, as joints, uh, you know, as part of the body, we're, those, we're there to help strengthen one another. But there's no way we can perform our responsibility if people aren't honest and real. And uh, that's where, you know, it's as ridiculous as going to a medical doctor and, and uh, you know, if, you know, if you have a broken arm and asking the doctor to check your legs, you know, mm, or yeah. walking in and saying, Doc, my hearing is fine. Uh, well, my eyesight's great. Well, that's wonderful. That's not what you were there for. Right. Right. You know, uh, get help, get healing, get whole, because I think that's what this is all about. He's the great physician, and he's able to do any of that if we can come with honesty and uh, approach him that way. You know, and, and thinking specifically towards the young minister, I know in, in when you're first starting out in ministry, you're wanting to make a good impression, you're wanting to really work hard and and you know you don't want to be seen as the kind of person that has a problem, uh, but sometimes there are problems, and in, in especially when you're starting out, if there's loneliness, there's uh, can be marital difficulties, uh, personal struggles, and even even uh, personal challenges, whether that's uh, job situations, changes that take place. Uh, there's all these kinds of things, and and sometimes there is a barrier when we feel like. Well, if I if I say, you know, I've got a problem, that somehow uh, we're less of a person, or you know, maybe we're really not a minister like we should be, and and, and talk to that mentality, and, and maybe how we can uh, find that, whether that's groups or whether that's you know, how can we find that place of transparency? Well, that you've hit on a very powerful and important point, and I think it's unfortunate for this generation, you know, I mentioned we evangelized, and during that time we did not have a van, or I mean, we did not have a camper or a trailer, so we were staying in people's homes. There were a few places that had a evangelistic quarters. There was no option of staying in a motel during those days, and 
so obviously, you know, I, I could tell you a lot of war stories about <laughs> horrific places yeah. and war stories about good places. But one of the things that it did was it forced us to get to know people and hmm. to become honest and, and fellowship with people. You know, be, you, you were there all day. You yeah. went with them to the hospital. You stayed with them. You went to church with them. You came home after church with them. You you sat around the supper table with them. It was just, you know, you lived with them for a couple of weeks. And, you know, there were people that um, the greatest lesson they taught you was what you didn't want to be like <laughs> when you grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and how you weren't going to treat people. Right, uh, right. Uh, but, you know, there were those that I found, even during those times of evangelizing, that um, were honest and real and would talk to you with a genuineness. And they didn't talk down at you and they they embraced you. And I can name numerous uh, individuals that were that way in in our young lives, and that gave us. Uh, when you found those, they became dear to you, and you were able to be real, and you were able to be honest, and um, you know they were not surprised, and et cetera, et cetera. Now that didn't mean obviously that. Uh, you were completely honest with everybody. Sure, sure. And it's always fun to try to have an argument with your wife as you're whispering because, you know, you're right <laughs> next to the, the pastor. It's amazing how quickly you make up because you can't get loud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, there were those occasions where, you know, you, you really felt uh, good. And we don't have as much of that. You know, if someone comes, uh, a lot of times uh, we put them in a motel room and we, we maybe take them to dinner, we bring them in, we, mm. we, we might spend a few hours, but maybe we don't even connect with them. So I think it's incumbent not only on individuals in our generation, but also young people to if they do feel a little bit of a connection with someone to really help try to foster that and talk to them and say, now, can you be a, uh, can I call you periodically or can I email you or can I, um, you know, touch base with you? Sure, I know sure. our social media is, is such that we can touch a thousand people an inch deep. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and boom, I've, you know, I've said something to a million or whatever, how many ever log on, and yet no one really knows what I'm going through. So it, it becomes incumbent upon us uh, as not, not only in our generation, but in, as a younger person, that when you do find somebody that you can talk to, you know, put them down and say, may I talk to you? I'll call you. And I've been blessed. I do have some uh, young ministers that will periodically call me and touch base. Do you have anything to tell me? Do you have a word for me? I want, I want you to know I've been praying for you. Thank you for praying for me. Those kinds of things. Um, and want me to 
to maybe say something. They felt a connection and want us to be a part of, of helping them. And we're glad to do any of that. And yet, you know, that's it's it's a little harder to develop those because they don't come as naturally as 25, 30 years ago. Um, one of the individuals I evangelized and met uh, many, many years ago, uh, he was a young man pastoring, and we were a young couple, and we came to their church. He was a few years um, older than we are. Uh, uh, we've been friends for since all of that time, and I've been a part of their family, helped marry some of their children, and uh, been on missions trips with them, and just become fast friends. And it was from evangelizing is when mm-hmm. I met them. You know, well, you may not have that now, but you can still foster friendships. Sure. And uh, I think it, you have to work at it, and you have to purposefully make up your mind to do that. And when you find someone, uh, you know, try it, and uh, and then find somebody that with whom you can be real. Uh, if if you if you are never able to get real with people, you will you will find that. Um, you know, before long, you you live a life of hypocrisy. And when you look in the mirror and you realize that, you know, what I'm doing is not what I'm saying I'm doing and it doesn't match, all of that, uh, the psychologists would call this dissonance and it's a, it's a constant wearing on you. And it wears on your family. And... Um, it's why, unfortunately, at times you'll see finally a rupture, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, because there has been such dissonance, such pulling, uh, you know, and yet that was never the intent. And that's why the Lord specifically in Thessalonians, the fifth chapter said, I want to sanctify you wholly. And that's not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y completely your whole spirit your your mind your heart your soul your body all of it i want all of it to be cleansed but the only way it can be cleansed is if you're willing to open it up and be honest about it somewhere someplace to somebody and that's where that cleansing can come from with the help of of friends and people that you meet and and make a, a a covenants with to become accountable and to um, uh, have them speak into your life. Well, it's it's definitely a vital part of a young minister's life. And and I would say a successful young minister, uh, those that I've seen that, that have made the transition into long-term ministry, uh, definitely have a, a strong support system. And, and one thing I've noticed is they're involved. You know, you talked about being intentional, uh, the people that I see that are successful, uh, they go to stuff. I mean, they're they're at you know camp meeting. You know, they go to conferences. They're they're around other people that have similar goals and and desires. And and so I think that's an important element uh, when we're trying to connect with uh, people that can help us and and we can be transparent with. 
without a doubt, I think it's it's like going fishing. You know, you may go to camp meeting this year and you don't really connect with anyone, but uh, go next year or go right, to right. Uh, the other one, and then all of a sudden, boom, your your paths cross with someone that wow, this is somebody that I can be real with, and this is someone that I can call. And uh, and yet there's no chance of that happening if you, you're not available. Absolutely. You and your wife uh, have worked together, and you talked about evangelizing. Uh, now your wife, she plays and sings. Uh, she also speaks. And, and, and the first time I, I saw you guys, I was in Bible school, and your wife had... Uh, spent some time in in worship ministry, uh, ministering from the from the keyboard, and then when she was done, then you came up and you spoke, and just had a tremendous. This has been, oh my goodness, about thirteen years ago, uh, but it, it made an impact on me. And and one thing that stood out to me is how you flowed together. There there was no competition between you uh, and your spouse. And talk about how uh, young men or ladies, you know, there, there's some ladies that listen to this podcast that, that are ministers and, and that it could be that they're uh, the main ministry factor in their home. So, so talk a little bit about that, how, how we can develop a team ministry uh, with husband and wife or uh, between spouses. Well, um, my... My first response to tell you that is, I guess, in complete transparency, is that my wife is by far uh, a better speaker than I am. And I have no qualm in, in feeling that way. Sure. I do sure. have a great respect for her ministry and her ability. She is a um, gifted orator. She is um, tremendous in leading worship. She is... Um, talented in numerous avenues, and yet uh, I feel like God has given me the gifts that he has given me, and that I will use what I have to the best of my ability. Um, I know that there you know, whether you go back to the parables of one talent, two talents, five talents, you know, three talents, ten talents, where where you fit in all of this. Um, obviously, uh, you can use sports metaphors and and say, well, you know, is the quarterback the highest paid? And yet there's linemen and, you know, all of the, the, the parts of the team. I think it's being comfortable to be able to, the first step, to be able to function as a team is to be comfortable in your giftings and to have a great respect for each other. One of the things that my wife uh, has always had and has always been to me is extremely respectful, and uh, we are uh, very honest with each other, and we are, um, there's, I don't feel any sense of competition from the standpoint of when she succeeds, I succeed. When she does right. well, I do well. The two of us are one. And if that, I don't know how else I could feel, um, you know, I know um, that 
I know what I'm capable of. I know what she's capable of. And so I feel very comfortable in, in that, in every aspect of that. And I think it's that sense that, you know, uh, I do, uh, she is an integral part of, of our ministry. But again, it goes back to we're one. And uh, there are things that I probably can do that she can't do. And there are, without a doubt, things that she can do that I can't do. And for us to be willing to work together is uh, the only way, you know, we, we can be successful. And, and you know, you can use the analogy of, of Jesus and the church or whatever. Uh, you know, our, you know, you can say, well, the Lord's got to move people, and yet, we have to be his hands. We have to be his feet. We have to be, he's not here, but he's here through us uh, and those kinds of things. So obviously um, communicating with one another, having a, a strong relationship, recognizing that my first calling is not to the ministry, to somebody else. My first calling is I'm a husband. I'm, I am, I'm, that's my spouse. I am to husbandman her. I am to help see that she produces. And um, if the wife is the glory of her husband, then what should shine forth through her is what I've imparted into her. And so it becomes very central to my thinking that uh, just as the church is the glory of the Lord, that my wife is my glory. So I feel great if, um, you know, if she hits the home run, then that's exciting. If all I can do is uh, bring her water, uh, again, um, we've been successful. Again, it's for the kingdom. You know, when you get a mentality that I want to do what this one does, or I want to function in this capacity, and I think that's been <clears throat> what I've tried to instill in and in within our children was minister as God opens the door and where he is. You don't have to force the doors open. You don't have to, you know, sure, knock, that's fine. And yet if the door doesn't open, you don't have to feel ashamed or bad. Right, um, right. You, you, you go to another direction. You know, this is, there's a big picture, and I don't know what it all is in every turn and twist. Um, you know, I, I can tell you how, you know, the, the steps that happened for my wife to sing an opening for a Ray Charles concert years ago. And it started by um, when she was asked to sing for free for a, a Boy Scout troop um, that our community was having their ceremony. Well, who could have planned? Oh, mm. well, I'll sing for the Boy Scouts and then I'll sing for this. And then I'll we'll pastor a whole missions church and then they'll come and they'll audition me there and they'll do this and then one day I'm going to be on stage and sing for Ray Charles and then I'm going to meet you know, a classmate of the governor's who's going to introduce me to Bill Clinton, who's going to, we're going to teach her Bible study in her home, and the Lord's going to fill her with the Holy Ghost. Well, who could have planned those kinds of mm. things? Well, yeah. you can't. 
You know, and we have those war stories on this side. Looking back, you see how God orchestrated it, but it was being willing to be useful in the kingdom. Hmm. You know, <laughs> and meaning if that's teaching a class, if that was singing, if that was volunteering, I think when an individual just says, yes, I want to be involved in the ministry, but here's what I want to do, I think you've missed it. To some extent, I think it's got to be that sense of, I will do whatever you put before me. And if this doesn't work, sure, I'm willing to knock on a door. I'm willing to try to further my education, or I'm willing to go. But if that door closes and the school doesn't accept me, and, and I, it just seems like I can't pass the class, and I've, I've, had, I've studied and I've given it my best, and I've done whatever, well, then... I move on to another thing. I don't know where I will be useful, but just to say, well, look, I have a pulpit ministry is what makes me successful. I've never believed that. I believed that uh, we had a, a lady years ago when we were evangelizing that met us at a church, and she was an elderly lady at that time, who would pray and pray for evangelist that came by and she would she got our address and said when i'm praying for you i want to write you a card and there were numerous times that we would get a card right in the moment hmm. that we were going through a valley and she was ministering to us right from as a saint in someone's church who did what she could she at that time you know and we didn't have cell phones you could call or text but she would send a card, and wow, the power of, of those kinds of things. So I think was realizing, you know, um, as a team, you do what you, you can, and then, uh, you know, I, I feel great. And would I like to be able to do what everyone else can do? Without a doubt. I think uh, it's in our nature to always want to compare ourselves to someone else, and yet we know what all the Bible tells us about those kinds of things. I mean, it's pretty specific about the danger in doing that and and how detrimental it can be. So you have to then realize every day when I get up, is, Lord, I want to do my best for you today, and I want to give it my best, and I want you to use me today. And I want to be useful in your kingdom today. And so, um, just for instance, when you called about having this interview, well, I would have not thought about interviewing people or putting it on a podcast or uh, whatever. And yet, um, uh, my response is, sure, if I can be a blessing, hmm. uh, I'll try to do that. Um, do I think... Anybody's going to be blessed by what I have to say. Well, I, whether they are or not, you've done your best. I've yeah. done my best. Yeah. And so we do it under the Lord. Right. And how the Lord takes it and uses it. I mean, you know, the little boy that had asked his mom for lunch and he, he got a few fish, you know, had a story to tell the rest of his life about what God did through him. With his lunch. And, uh, you know, probably some of his friends didn't believe it. But if he wouldn't have been willing 
to give what he had, you know, it, it, I'm not saying the Lord couldn't have fed him. He did. He fed him at other times without it. But uh, he allowed that little boy to be part of America. And that's how I feel every day, uh, whether it's pastoring this church, whether it would be if, if the Lord would, you know, I wrote a book or if I wrote an article, if I did an interview with Brother Tapia and <laughs> somebody, I would say, wow, thank yeah. you, Lord, for letting me be part of a miracle today. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be part of somebody's miracle. And and even if that meant that I worked a job and I, I, I mailed ten dollars in to a missions program in in somewhere in in the world, and that ten dollars printed a track that fell into the hand again, I'm part of that miracle. What a great concept and, and I wonder just in closing and, and if you could just take a minute and pray over that young person right now, that maybe, maybe they're in, in, in their ministry and they're, they're, maybe they've been knocking on that door and nothing's opening, or maybe, uh, you know, they're feeling like, um, whatever this, this job that I'm doing, this ministry position, maybe it's wearing on them. Maybe they're, um, thinking, you know, maybe I need to do something else, but I wonder if you could just pray for that young person right now that feels the call of God in their life. Sure, I would be honored to. I, I do. Again, let me say, Brother Tapia, I do appreciate your burden uh, to try to help and be an encouragement and strengthen our young ministers and and um, strengthen the body of Christ. And I know uh, the Lord has used this already. I I have evidence of it, um, and yet I know He's going to continue to use it and use you and uh, bless you and your family as well. Amen. Lord, I thank you for every individual that is listening to this interview, and maybe there's something that they've heard or felt and that can be of strength or encouragement to them, wherever they may be. I know there are many times that we find ourselves feeling discontented, and we know that that is the greatest trick of the enemy it's been the one that started in the garden of eden here was eve in a place of perfection with a perfect husband with a perfect environment with perfect health with perfect circumstances and yet the enemy was able to make her feel like she was lacking something in her life and we know how the enemy attacks us with that same kind of spirit to somehow make us feel like what we're doing is not enough, where we are is not going fast enough, and what we're facing is insurmountable, and it's impossible to somehow see our way through. And yet, we have the promises in your word that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So give us that sense of purpose and direction in our lives today so that we can recognize, Lord, we do have a function and a purpose for the body of Christ. Maybe not 
only just to show forth the praises. Maybe it's to work. Maybe it's to be in school. Maybe it's to witness to somebody at work. Maybe it's to raise a child. Maybe it's to help a neighbor through a tough time. Whatever that is, don't ever let the enemy minimize that in our eyes. Because you went as far as to say, even if you gave a cup of water to someone, you recognized the sacrifice and you took account of the gifting. You even told your own disciples that the one that had given the most the day that the offering was taken was the widow who gave the mites, who gave just everything that she had. I pray that you will encourage our young men and women that are involved in ministry from whatever capacity, that they will remember to be a servant and remember to give every job and every position and everything that they're faced with their best because they're doing it as under you. They're not doing it for the boss. They're not doing it for someone else, but they're doing it as under the Lord. And with that, we know you will open the door and you will bring us to the places where we can best be useful to the kingdom. You're able, Lord, to bring us before kings, but you're also able to help us find the individual that's been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And whatever it is that we can do, help us to be willing to do it with all of our might and to do it cheerfully and to do it as unto you, because we know who is actually the one that's going to be our, who is our employer and the one who's going to give us the reward is going to be when you say, well done, a good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Help us remember that this is all still about you. Help us to find individuals in our lives that we can connect to, to empower us and strengthen us and strengthen each other. I pray that you will bless each one that's listening right now and that you will open the doors for them, close doors, use them, and use us all in this hour because we know you are soon coming. In the name that's above every name, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you, Brother Shostrand. It's been an honor to have you today. Thank you for taking the time to, to do this interview. Well, thank you, Brother Tapia. I appreciate your, your, your burden and vision for this, and I, uh, I know the Lord's going to continue to bless it. You've been listening to a ministry mentorship podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com. If you'd like to connect with our guest or find links to any of the recommended resources, you can find that information in the show notes of this podcast. Go to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and click on episode 44. Also, you can help us gain more visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or by rating our podcast on iTunes. If you're interested in donating to this ministry, you can do so by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash donate, and your gift of any amount will help us continue our mission of connecting apostolic leaders with young people for ministry development. Thanks for listening, and God bless.